Amen. I pray that that will be your story on the day that you die. The gospel that we preach is not the gospel to get you promoted at work. It's not a gospel to make your life better. It is a gospel of salvation. It is the gospel... For when you die and have to meet with your maker. And for that reason we can't be playing with the word of God. This is serious business. Because we are talking about your ever living and never dying soul. So we purpose here at Berean to always teach the Bible, you want to hear a sermon that I want to share with you how God accepts sinners. We are only doing what we do here because we believe God has called us to tell sinners how they can make it right with him how they are going to be accepted by him, how they are going to make their maker in peace. Without saying, war is me, for I am undone. And Jesus Christ is the way, is the truth and the life. And it is him that we preach. For our communion sermon, we are going to begin in Matthew, but spend most of our time in the book of Jonah. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 12, and we spend most of our time in the book of Jonah. And with that, let's go before the Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning. Lord, we praise you and glorify you for gathering us here, for serving us here. And Lord, for revealing your son Jesus Christ to us. For believing in him, knowing him. That we may have our salvation in him. That we may have our complete acceptance in him. That we may have our perfection in him. He who died and after three days rose. Because as we have been learning, it was impossible for him to be kept by the power of death. For he had put away our sins completely, and he fulfilled the law and nailed the law on the cross. He sanctified his people perfectly and justified them. And Lord, we pray now for understanding as you go into your word that you'd come to your people and open the scriptures to them, that they may see Christ 
that they may hear Christ always. Blessed are those who see Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your word. May be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41. Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41. Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41 reads, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it by the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So the title of our message is The Sign of Jonah. I'm sure many of you have read the story of Jonah. A lot of Christians, even non-Christians, know the story of Jonah. But there are very few who have seen the Christ that is in Jonah. And we are going to be seeing the Christ that God was preaching through Jonah. And this is going to be a slow development of the teaching, but you are going to see it. For some background, Jonah was a prophet of Israel that is, of the northern kingdom, if you remember Israel, the nation was split into the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had the ten tribes, and that also carried the name of Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. So Jonah was a prophet of Israel in the days of Jeroboam II. And we find that in Second Kings 14.25. Jonah was one of the four Old Testament prophets whose ministries were referred to by the Lord himself in Matthew 12:41 and the others were Elijah in Matthew 17:11 to 12 Elisha in Luke 4:27 and Isaiah Matthew 15:7 this makes Jonah a contemporary prophet of both Uzziah and Amos. If you go read the introduction of Uzziah chapter 1 verse 1 and Amos 1 verse 1, they all say they were prophets during the time of Jeroboam II. But our interest here is in Christ because Jesus made a reference that the sign of his work was going to be the sign of Jonah. And as we have been talking and been learning, all scriptures are about Jesus. And so as we commemorate, as we remember the death and resurrection of our Lord, we have to learn about how this has been portrayed and taught in different types and shadows. 
And unfortunately, for some who come to the Bible seeking to be entertained, they get very disappointed. That's why they'll come and say, what programs do you have for children? No, we don't have any programs for children. We have Jesus for them. It is all about Jesus Christ. Salvation is all about Christ. God's glory is all about the glory of Jesus. And nobody else. And I pray that the Lord would get you to have joy in the learning and knowing of the person of Christ. Because that is salvation. And that is the chief reason why you exist. You don't exist so that you can see your grandkids. God did not create you for your husband or your wife. No. He created you. You only exist for the glory of Jesus Christ. And according to Jesus, to know Jesus is to know God. And it is to have eternal life. In the book of Jonah, we have Jesus hidden. And the Lord Jesus is going to come, as we have read, and say, in the story of Jonah, guess what? God was preaching about him and his gospel. God was preaching about the necessity of death and resurrection in the redemption of God's people. And so God raised Jonah to be one of the signs of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. To which he came and said, no other sign was going to be given to the Jews other than the sign of Jonah. So Jonah was there for this very reason. The pains that God takes to preach Jesus, to raise a Jonah, to raise a Nineveh, to raise a well, just to preach Christ. Let's go, let's go to Jonah chapter 1. We are going to walk through the whole chapter. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, an ancient great empire that was built by Nimrod, according to Genesis 10, 11. The word of the Lord that came to Jonah was for him to go to Nineveh, that great city, and was probably the greatest city of its time. And Jonah was commissioned to go and cry against it, that is to preach against it, to preach repentance to the city, to preach salvation to the city. Why? Because their wickedness had come up before the Lord. This was not saying God was not aware of the wickedness of all the other nations. No, he was saying this wickedness was so much that he could not let it go any longer. And I think it's happening in our own country. It's coming. In Genesis 6-5, the Lord God said, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So this is what we are seeing happening in Nineveh, and Jonah had to go and preach to them and cry against that city. But what was the wickedness of Nineveh or Assyria? The Assyrian king at this time even acknowledged that his people's ways were evil and were characterized by violence in Jonah 3 verse 8. And they were carefree according to Zephaniah 2.15. Hear this. This is the rejoicing city. So Assyria and Nineveh they were having fun. Vegas style. This is the rejoicing city that dwells securely undisturbed by their enemies. Life is good. That said in a heart, listen to this, I am it and there's none besides me. That is the attitude of the Assyrians. Things are going so well and when things are secure and going so well, this is what sin makes of men. They make themselves into gods. They have enough money saved. There's no one sick at home. Everything is going well. We got in mad. But the Lord is looking at them and says, These people are too proud. They were too proud and thought themselves invincible like many great nations of our day. The prophet Nahum wrote about them also and their crimes in Nahum chapter 3. Nahum chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. This is what he says. War to that bloody city. Completely full of lies and pillage. A prey never departs. The noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, many slain, a mass of corpses, and countless dead bodies. They stumble over the dead bodies. All because of the many hollow trees of the hallowed, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations by her hollow trees and families by her sorceries. Behold, listen to what God says. Behold, I'm against you. Now, that's what you don't want to hear from God. Behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will shame you. And show to the nations your nakedness. And to the kingdoms your disgrace. So God says, when I'm against you and I'm determined to humiliate you, I am going to humiliate you so bad and that is what is going to happen to any who despise the Jesus that we preach. The Lord God is against all those who despise Jesus. 
And the time is coming when he shall lift up their skirts over their faces and show them their shame. So the sin of Assyria is still the sin of our great nations even of this day. And the Lord is still crying out against them. They are the sins of idolatry, making and worshipping their own gods. And consequently, men doing whatever is good in their own sight. Lies, warmongers, pride. This is the rejoicing city that God securely. Nineveh was well known in the ancient Near East for the brutal atrocities that it inflicted on its war captives. This city was known for its gross idolatry and it had a lot of temples dedicated to various gods. They had a god by the name of Nabu, Ashur, and Adad. They also had, guess what? The goddess Easter. They had the goddess Easter and that is what over time, progressed to be our Easter. The God of peace, of love and war, and fertility. Mm. When it came to war, the Assyrians were brutal, and they recorded for us some of the things that they did to their enemies. I remember when I taught in Isaiah 10, God's sovereignty and human responsibility, we talked a whole lot more about the cruelties of the Assyrians. These guys, when you're talking about being cruel, you couldn't beat them. So they were very vile, they were very cruel, they were very powerful, and also they were very idolatrous. The religion of the Assyrians was Babylonian in origin, but in Assyria, their national god was Asur, L-A-S-S-U-R, whose high priest and representative was the king. Now, these are all the things that are happening in Assyria, and it is for these reasons that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, to go and preach against it. But Jonah had different ideas. He disobeyed and escaped. Jonah 1 verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish and paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tashish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah was not amused by the mission. So he decided to go to Tashish. And Tashish was 2,500 miles off of the coast of Spain, off the Mediterranean Sea. That is almost right there on top of Africa from where Israel is. Jonah takes a cruise ship. He goes on a cruise 
to Spain. And in the meantime, Nineveh was 375 miles in the opposite direction from where Jonah was. Listen to Jonah 1 to 3 again. We are told that Jonah was not happy. Jonah was not happy about the mission. Actually, I made a mistake. I meant to say, listen to Jonah 4, 1 to 3. Jonah 4, 1 to 3. The Lord gives us the reason why Jonah was not happy about the mission. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tashish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. So Jonah disobeyed God because he knew that God was going to forgive the Assyrians. That is his argument. Jonah had his theology about God right. He has the theology and character of God right. And he knew that if he would go and preach repentance to Nineveh, knowing his God, he was going to forgive them. But Jonah was upset. Because God was not granting repentance to his own people. Jonah here was bringing a patriotic argument to say, how can you grant repentance to our enemies? You are supposed to be destroying them and not saving them. So it was a patriotic argument. You can't do that. Don't do that, God. These people have been evil. You have heard the testimony of the Assyrians. The children of Israel know who the Assyrians are. So if anything, God is supposed to just destroy them and not to recover them. So Jonah's refusal to go to Nineveh was driven more by his patriotism for Israel. Patriotism does not work when it comes to God's work. He accomplishes his will. He accomplishes his purpose of preaching grace to his people, whether we are patriotic or not. But listen to the Lord's response to Jonah's escape in Jonah 1 4. This is the Lord's response to Jonah. The Lord held a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. The Lord brought a great wind and caused a great storm so that the ship was about to break up and this of course startled the sailors who most likely were Phoenician sailors, most likely merchants as they had goods on the ship. And Phoenicians also were known to be very good mariners. They were men of the seas. So the men 
were startled. Listen to Jonah 1.5. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried out to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lay down and fallen sound asleep. So these sailors were of course very afraid and each one cried out to his God. That's what happens when men get afraid. <laughs> and all these people who think they are slick and they don't believe in the God of the Bible, they are going to cry out when the Lord brings fear on them. The only reason why they don't come to Jesus is because they are not afraid of God. The day is coming when God is going to show up in his power and majesty and people will be crying out and running and saying to the stones, bury us, trying to hide underneath the stones. They will be trying to die and they won't die. Because you see, to die is only God who can achieve your death. God is able to keep you forever and ever without dying, even when you are at the point of death. You can't die by your own will. It's only if God grants it. But the time is coming when men shall desire to die to escape their punishment. To escape their misery. They shall desire to do it and it won't happen. They'll try to hang themselves, they won't die. They'll try to take a poison pill, they won't die. It's coming. Death is not in the hands of men. So the mariners are afraid. And of course we know they are pagans. These are not Israelites. They are crying out to their different gods. And they thought they could calm the storm by lightening the lord of their ship. So they threw the cargo, some of their cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea. And we have to have some understanding of what is happening here because I'm not just telling this story to tell the story. I'm building the background. What are we to understand from the actions of these mariners? This is the way of sinners when they are burdened by the conviction of sin. They will try to be righteous in themselves by attempting to reduce the Lord of the conviction of their sins, but by what they can stop doing. As soon as they have been convicted by God, they start doing things. They run around trying to find peace for their conscience. So they were trying to reduce the Lord, that they may take away the wrath and judgment of God that was on them. And a lot of people do the same. They think they can impress God. They think they can impress God by what they have done or are doing. But they will soon realize that their effort will not help. Their conscience is still raging with guilt and there's no peace for them. Whilst those who have rested, who have come to the way 
of peace with God to the only way of peace with God, they sleep soundly like Jonah. The captain of the ship shows up, realizing that Mr. Jonah is unmoved by the development. Jonah is not even moved by what is happening. He is just sleeping soundly. <laughs> Listen to Jonah 1.6. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. It is Almost like when the disciples of the Lord came to him when he was sleeping in Mark 4.38. They came to him. Listen to this. But he was in the stand, that's Jesus, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How is it that you are sleeping and we are about to perish here? Jonah and the same question was asked of Jesus. But the sailors were saying to Jonah, You too, sleeper, need to wake up and pray to your God, and maybe he has the power to deliver us from this storm, lest we perish. So they determined to sort out whose God was causing trouble by casting lots. So these guys know that whatever situation they have requires some knowledge of the God who is causing the trouble. <laughs> we know that the issues that men have because of sin are there because of a God who is holy and righteous. And if you know that God, then you can know how to appease him. And we know that God, and we know how to appease him. You see, even pagans have correct theology when things are not going well for them. Here, Jonah 1, 7 to 8. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Mr. Jonah was so unfortunate that the Lord fell on him. No, 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 no. <laughs> what do the scriptures say? The Lord is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Bingo, the Lord fell on Jonah. And Jonah has some explaining to do. Jonah has to do some explaining. They interrogate him and say, You tell us what is going on with you. What do you know about this storm? Give us your resume. We need to check your resume. So that we can check our database of God's. And maybe we can tell what kind of God you have. This is what they are doing. They each have their own gods. Because remember, they were each calling their own gods. So they, their gods have not responded. So they want to know what kind of God Jonah has. 
And there's a reason for that. The pagan gods were territorial and belonged only to a certain people group. So knowing what God Jonah had would have helped them with the knowledge on how to appease him. So they are checking the database right there. Okay. Uh, how do we appease this God? Tell us. Give us a breakdown of yourself. Listen to Jonah's response. Jonah 1.9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Uh-oh. Jonah has the God whose territory is even the seas. Whose territory even goes as far as the heavens. And the dry land. Or the dry land. Listen to the response of the sellers. Jonah 1, 10 to 11. Then the men became extremely frightened. They were shaking. And they said to him, How could you do this? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. So the men became extremely afraid of God who made the heavens, the sea, and the dry land. And they said to Jonah, What is wrong with you, man? What is wrong with you? How could you possibly try to escape from such a God? <laughs> from that kind of God who made everything and who rules over the seas, the land, and the heavens. Even we pagans see that as foolishness. But since you, Jonah, know this God, that he is the one who brought this trouble upon us, you tell us, what should we do to you? <laughs> Not to them. What should we do to you, Jonah, that the sea may become calm for us? What are they saying? They are saying, Jonah, what shall we do to you that we may be saved? Because if this storm continues for a few more minutes, we are tossed. And that is a question that can only be asked by one who knows the God who made the heavens and the earth. And that is the question that is only asked by one who has come to the end of themselves. Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So the sailors also have a who problem. The sailors have a who problem. Who shall deliver me from these storms? Jonah, as the man of God, should know something about how one ought to be saved. Any who profess to come in the name of God, in the name of Christ, who call themselves a pastor, a Bible preacher, they ought to know how God saves sinners.
That is their main function to tell people how God saves sinners. Because if he does not know the seas and the waters of judgment will increasingly become stormy on those who do not know the way of peace. Listen to Jonah's solution, Jonah 1 12. Jonah has a solution. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Jonah proposed a very interesting solution. Obviously, Jonah is not disabled. Jonah is not on clutches. Jonah is not in a wheelchair. And yet he tells the man to pick him up and throw him into the sea. And he is 100% confident that this is the way to calm the storm. So this man knows what it takes to satisfy the wrath of God. He is truly a man of God. And we'll revisit this point because it is an important theological point. It's a, a very important breadcrumb. Jonah 1, 13-14. However, the men roared desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. You see, even the pagans understood the sovereignty of God. You, Lord, have done as you have pleased. But don't lose this. Jonah proposed a solution, but the man did not attend to the solution that Jonah had proposed. It was a simple solution. Pick up Jonah and throw him overboard. And the wrath of God is satisfied, but they decided to do what? They decided to work. They decided to work. They decided to deliver themselves by adding more effort. Working harder, but they could not. They desperately tried to steer the ship to return to the land, but they could not. God says to sinners, believe in the one whom I have sent and be saved. And yet sinners will still come and ask, what shall we do to do the works of God? Give us something to do. As the men were trying to stir themselves to safety, things were getting even worse. The sea was getting even stormier against them, and the winds were more contrary. So the men attempted to deliver themselves from God's judgment. But, praise the Lord, they came to the end of themselves. They came to the end of themselves. They despaired of their effort at self-salvation and then cried out to the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. That's the confession that you want. That is the confession that any 
has to have to be saved. You have to come to the end of yourself. You have to realize that you can't please God by your own efforts. These men also make a confession. The same confession that Pilate made when he washed off his hands on the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. This is Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, he could not prevail. The man could not prevail. But rather that a tumult was rising. Oh, a tumult was rising also. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. You see to it. So, the mariners give a confession that Jonah was an innocent man. But as we know, Jonah is not an innocent man. He is only a type of an innocent man, Jesus Christ. But the confession, that confession is necessary. Because that's what God is preaching. Listen to the solution. To the outworking of the solution in Jonah 1, 15 to 17. The outworking of the solution. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. After the sailors had realized that self-salvation did not work, they went back to Jonah's plan A. Jesus has always been plan A. No plan B here. They went back to what Jonah had first proposed to them. Remember, Jonah is a type of Christ. And so they have to listen to the prophet of God about what God says about salvation. The man determined against their will, but they didn't want to throw Jonah over. They were very apprehensive of throwing a man into the sea, but they were left with no option but to throw Jonah into the sea as Jonah had proposed. See again that the Holy Spirit recorded for us that they picked up Jonah. They picked up Jonah. Why would God tell us that they picked up Jonah? Why the emphasis of being picked up as part of the solution of calming down the storms? John 12:32. And I, if I am lifted up, from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. I will save all people, not everybody, all those that the Father gave him. If Jonah is going to be a type of Christ and experience a type of the death and resurrection of Christ, he also has to be lifted up by the ones that he came to redeem, the sailors. The sailors need salvation. Jonah was lifted up by the hands of godless men, pagan sailors. They were praying to their gods. 
that they may be saved and so Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross by the hands of what? Of godless men. That those who lifted him up may be saved. So Jonah instructed them to lift him up. A type of putting Jesus on the cross by sinful hands. By lawless hands. According to Acts 2.28 and 29. Acts 2, 28, 29. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. If Christ was delivered by the determined purpose of God, Jonah was also delivered by the determined purpose and knowledge of God. So the attempted escape to Tashish was after all by God's determination. Jonah was not exercising his free will. It was by the determination of the Lord that Jonah should escape to try and go to Tashish. That by bringing Jonah back the way that he did, Christ will be preached God's sovereignty is not working in parallel with Jonah's will. It's Jonah's will that is being directed by God's sovereignty to do what God wants to be done. And, and that is for Jonah to try and abscond and to be recovered. God is not reacting to Jonah. It's Jonah who is reacting to the movement of God. Just as you see all the Pharisees, the Pilate, the Herod, all that they are doing, the, it looks like they are the ones who are driving the show. But Jesus says, no, 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 you would not have any power over me unless it was given you from above. But as soon as Jonah is thrown into the sea, guess what? There was waiting for him a fish. Oh, this fish was so lucky. Waiting for him a fish that didn't even need to hunt. That the Lord had appointed to swallow him. And Jonah was in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. Now that's the story of Jonah. Now we have to actually go into the theology of the story of Jonah. Some of the things I've already alluded to as we were moving through the chapter. But we're going to get more teaching from what you had already. As Jonah was declared innocent by the sailors in Jonah 1 4. Jonah was declared innocent by the sailors, pagan sailors. These are Gentiles. Before they picked him up to throw him into the sea that he may be buried in the grave of the belly of the fish. Jonah was buried in the belly. And so was the Lord Jesus Christ pronounced innocent before he was crucified and buried. He was pronounced innocent before he was crucified. As we read from Matthew 27, 24, about what Pilate did. He washed off his hands and, I sa and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. 
in John 19, 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. In Hebrews 7, 26, For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. And that was Jesus Christ. Jonah had to be lifted up so as to go into the grave for both the mariners and the Assyrians to be saved. If Jonah is not lifted overboard, the mariners are dead and the Assyrians are dead. He has to go into the water, into the fish, that the storm may stop raging for the Phoenician sailors and has to resurrect that the judgment of God on Nineveh may be lifted and preach repentance to the Gentiles. If Jonah is not buried into the water, the sailors are perishing and Nineveh is perishing. If Jesus does not die on the cross, there's no payment of sins. And the wrath of God still abides on you. As the stormy sea continued to rage until Jonah was lifted up out and into the sea. If Jonah does not resurrect from the belly of the fish, as I said, Nineveh is perishing. If Jonah remains in the grave of the body of the fish, Nineveh is gone. The sailors may be saved, but Nineveh is gone. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He is not losing any. Nineveh is gone because there's none who can preach repentance to it. If Jesus remains in the grave and does not resurrect, Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The belly of the fish was a means of preservation of Jonah and of deliverance. The grave of Christ was a means of preservation of God's people and their deliverance. The grave was necessary for your salvation because your issue is that you are going to die and Christ has to be put in the grave that he may overcome death. If Jonah is digested by the fish, Nineveh is tossed. Jonah has to resurrect out of the belly of the fish that he may go and preach repentance to God's people in Nineveh. So it was impossible that Jesus should be overcome by the grave. Listen to this. Jonah was forsaken of God in the belly of the beast, but was not abandoned. He was forsaken, but was not abandoned. Jesus said in Psalm 16.10, yes, Jesus said in Psalm 16.10, For you will not leave my soul in shore, nor will you allow your Holy One to see or experience corruption. Listen to Acts 2, 
22 to 28, this is Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So, Jonah was had. If you read Jonah chapter 2, it's Jonah who is crying out to the Lord. The cries of Jonah in the belly of the well were not the cries of Jonah. Those were not the cries of Jonah. Those were the cries of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's Jesus. Read it carefully. The cries of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2 are the cries of Jesus himself. Read also Psalm 22. But I need to focus your attention on why Jonah was heard. Because if God does not hear Jonah, Jonah is fish food. Jonah did not have, what do you call it, like the, the breathing tank that they have when they're going diving into the seas. He didn't have one like that. He didn't have that kind of technology. He had the technology of God. <laughs> I need you to think about why Jonah was head. Jonah was head because of his loud cries. Which cries were not his, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah was head because the Lord intended to preach Christ by this experience, but also that God was intending to save Assyria that he may use it to punish his people. That's in Isaiah. But why was Jesus delivered? Jesus, Jesus was delivered because of his reverent submission. According to Hebrews 5, 7, In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety, because of his reverent 
submission. He was heard because the Father delighted in him and Jesus delighted in the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was heard because of Psalm 91, 14 and 15. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. God was pleased with Jesus for his perfect obedience. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my father. And so when he had plunged him into the darkness of death, he raised him from the dead. When Jesus cried out from the depths of his punishment, the father looked upon him and was satisfied. He looked at his anguish. He looked at the labor of his soul and he was satisfied. And that is the basis of your acceptance by God. If God does not look at Jesus and be satisfied with the loud cries and the anguish and the labor of his soul, there's no hope for you. By yourself, God is not pleased with you. By yourself, God will not hear you no matter how long and deep you cry. Jesus has to cry for you. You need someone who cries for you. Someone has to cry for your death because if Someone does not cry for your death. God cannot raise you. I need you to get that statement. When someone dies, you need a mourner. And when you're mourning, the desire of, of all those who mourn is that if it were possible, they could raise the person by their mourning, by their wailing. Your death requires that one month for you. You can't mourn for yourself. Your relatives can't mourn for you. Your friends can't mourn for you as to be heard by God. You need a mourner. You need a mourner that has been appointed by God, one who mourns with loud cries and who is heard by God. If God does not hear you on account of Christ, you will perish in the belly of the world. By yourself, by your merits, you will not be vomited out of the belly of the world. But you will suffer corruption and become fish food and become worm food. But Jonah was head because he was a type of Christ. Jonah was head because God was preaching his son through him. But now that Jesus was heard, God hears us also because of his loud cries. Jonah was the man that God had appointed for the deliverance of the sailors and the Ninevites. And Jesus is the man that God has appointed for your deliverance. There's no other name that has been given, that has been appointed by God, that can deliver you from your sin. The sailors and the Assyrians were heard and delivered because if you remember, if you continue reading the book of Jonah, 
when Jonah gets to Nineveh and he preaches, these people went crazy in repentance. God had granted them repentance. They were delivered because they had found their who in Jonah. They had found their who in Jonah. In Christ, God did not just see his son, but he saw us in his son. In Christ, God did not just see you, he also hears you. If you are in Christ, when you call on him, he actually hears you because he knows the voices and the cries of his people. He knows when you are actually in distress and you actually have never been in distress. Because a time is coming for men who do not know the truth, who have not believed in the gospel to cry out and nobody is going to hear them. But when your time comes to be heard, God is going to hear you. And that's the beauty of this gospel. But God is saying, you need someone who can hear you. If you get in that restroom and you get stuck, can't open the door, you cry out and nobody hears you. You're actually going to die in there. You're going to die in there. You need someone to hear you. And God only hears you if you're in Christ. We will only be heard if we are carried in the vessel that God himself has prepared. We will only be heard in the vessel that is Jesus Christ. Noah and his family were saved Why? Because they were carried in the belly of the vessel that God had appointed. Noah and his family were saved because they were in the vessel of Christ. No one ever gets saved who is not in the vessel that God has commanded. You always have to be in the vessel that he commands or else you perish. The vomiting of Jonah out of the belly of the well was a type of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus, as it were, was vomited out of the grave by resurrection. Jonah, after the digestion of his skin for three days and three nights would have looked what? Glorified. Jonah would have looked, his skin complexion would have been very pale as a type of the resurrected Christ. So those who saw him, like, what's wrong with this man? (laughs) Why is he looking like that? (laughs) but listen to this I have a few more comments to make before we finish God prepared the fish to swallow Jonah and so God prepared the tomb of Christ through Joseph of Arimathea 
and they made him, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Nor was any deceit in his mouth, yes. Isaiah 53, 9. And John 19, 41, we're going to hear John say, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So no one had ever been buried in this tomb. That is by God's sovereignty. Joseph of Arimathea did not say, I'm making this tomb for Jesus. That was not his plan. But that was God's plan. Jonah was buried in a tomb that nobody had ever been buried in. The belly of the fish. No one had ever been buried in the tomb, the belly of the fish. And so Jesus was buried in a tomb in which no man had never been laid. Jonah laid down his life for the sailors and the Assyrians that he may appease or propitiate the wrath of God as our Lord Jesus Christ said of himself in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And in Mark 10, 45, he would say, For even the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen to this. God could not grant repentance to Nineveh until the prophet of his appointment had been in the belly of the well three days and three nights and had resurrected. Why was it necessary for there to be three days and three nights? If God wanted, he would have had the fish get back to Nineveh like in two seconds. We see that in the New Testament with Jesus. And immediately they were at the shore. Immediately. He could have done that. And we also could not repent until the Lord Jesus had died and resurrected and the Holy Spirit given. Jonah by his will. Because you see, when you're looking at the theology surrounding this story, it's multi-layered. There are a lot of clues that are in there. Jonah is also you and me. Jonah, by his will, did not go where God wanted him to go. He escaped and headed off in the exact opposite direction, 2,500 miles away. Right? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. To Tashish. Sister Becker, you were going to Tashish when the Lord came for you. You were not in Nineveh. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have turned everyone to his own way. So by your will, you are unable to follow God's command. You always go to Tashish and always seem to have enough fare to pay your way to any destination. As long as it is where God has not told you to go. 
and that is the way of sin. Always opposed to God and running away from him. Human free will as those proponents of it say. Always takes one to Tashish. Never to Nineveh. It takes one to the closest and the most convenient sin. But the sovereign and gracious God whose will is free took Jonah where? To Nineveh. Developing some theology here as we close. That is preservation of the saints. In spite of their rebellion, they will always get to God's desired destination. In spite of your sins, in spite of your rebellion, you are always going to end where God wants you to be. The Lord transported Jonah in a vessel not made by human hands, but was prepared by God himself. The ship to Tashish was a vessel made by human hands, made by sinners, and therefore could not deliver them. That vessel could not deliver them. But the vessel that God put Jonah in back to Nineveh was one that God prepared himself. What am I saying? The vessel that delivers, the vessel that brings your salvation has to be the one that God prepares himself. Jesus Christ was prepared, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And that is the vessel of our salvation. That is a vessel of God's own work. Jesus Christ was not a vessel of Mary. We have to get that right. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. A body you have prepared for me. So in conclusion, that vessel, the great fish, was a type of Christ. For those who have never heard what it means when we say a type of Christ, we are saying it's a person, an institution, an event, a feast in the Old Testament that foreshadowed or preached or figured something relating to the person or work of Jesus. So Jonah is a type of Christ. The fish was a type of Christ in delivering Jonah as much as Jonah was also a type of Christ in being buried, resurrecting, and preaching repentance. The great fish preserved Jonah to God's destination. And so all those who are in Christ, as those who were in Noah's ark, shall be delivered to the shores of heaven land without fail. They may go kicking and screaming and sometimes will try to run away from the Lord. As you continue to walk as a Christian, there are times that you feel like you are going to run away from the Lord. But for some reason, you come back again. 
It's not your doing. It's not because you woke up on the right side of your bed. It's the Lord who is sovereignly keeping you from stumbling. The Lord God draws and preserves his people as he did Jonah. He preserves them through the seas and waters of temptation and sin. Now that is security of salvation and that is a picture of grace towards sinners, towards God's people. And if the Lord does not preserve you, you shall be digested to death. But that which would kill and condemn Jonah, listen to this, became his way of escape. Jesus would have come to condemn you because he is the one who has been appointed to condemn you. But guess what? He came to save that which was lost. And these are the ways of sovereign grace. It is he who came and died and resurrected. And so the testimony of the gospels is he is not here for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The Passover lamb that came to die has risen. And is not in the grave anymore. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Full payment and satisfaction of sin. No fear of death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Or death, where is your victory? That's a rhetoric question. This is the believer who is doing their dance, their victory dance. All death. They are tormenting death because of Christ. All death. Where is your victory? All death. Where is your sting? That was the mystery of the story of Jonah. That was the sign. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Praise the Lord that he rose. Amen. Amen.